Good. Let's, uh, let's turn in our Bible to 2 Samuel chapter 7. I want to continue where we started a couple weeks ago on understanding, series called Understanding the Age to Come. And uh, l- that last time and this time, we are just, we're setting foundations. We're laying foundations. We're going to talk uh, in more detail in the coming weeks about what the age to come looks like, what uh, this time frame that we call the millennium, what it looks like and what life will be like in the millennium. But uh, I find it really important that we set proper foundations so that we can get a few things in, in order in our minds to actually rightly conceive of this coming age and, and what's getting ready to happen. The, uh, the concept of the ages to come is very soundly established in the scriptures. Ephesians chapter 2. Paul describes, and he says, in, in the coming ages, in the ages to come, plural, that God would show you the riches of his mercy and his grace. He said, it's, it's going to get so much better than even what you're experiencing now. He, God has got ages after this one. Those are delineations of times. The Greek word is eons. These time delineations, these seasons that are appointed by God in which he is going to uh, flow in back and forth in love and mercy with us in a way that's going to be its a, a greater demonstration than we even experience in this age. Beloved, everything we touch in the kingdom in this age is only the shadow of what's to come. And so when we get our eyes focused solely on the shadow of this age, we tend to live without perspective. And when we live without perspective, we lose vision. And when we live without vision, we we tend to only live for the here and now, not seeing what's beyond. And when we live without vision and we only live for right now, we'll live like spiritual orphans. And here's why. If you believe that the father is a good father who's got an inheritance for you that supersedes this age, you will live with the vision of the inheritance. And if you you don't see that inheritance and you think that this age is all you got, you will live solely for this age, spending all your energy on this age, trying to get all you can and can all you get in this age, and you end up living completely uh, visionless and purposeless. And that's why people tend to think about the return of the Lord Jesus in fatalistic terms. They think, well, I want to live as much as I can before Jesus comes back. Because after that, you know, it's not going to be as cool as it is now. No, beloved, millions of Christians think like that. Millions of Christians think, well, I want the Lord to come back, but not when I'm 25. Not when I'm 35. I want to have grandchildren, not when I'm 55. Let him come back when I'm like 89, like just about to die. Then he can return so I can have gotten in all the life there is. And then I'll just go off and be a fat baby float on a cloud playing a harp with her in a toga. If you get your eschatology from cartoons, that's probably not a good source for your eschatology of the age to come. This thing goes on for quite some time in time with days and seasons and months after the Lord Jesus returns. And there are tremendous promises in the scripture for that age, for us, and they're all, uh, the, the, uh, the reward of those promises are all dependent upon how we live our lives in this age. Beloved, I want to tell you, I want to fulfill the the purpose of God for me in this age, but I'm not primarily focusing on this age. I want to do everything God's calling me to do now unto this. I want to be faithful in it now unto another age, another time. You know what? We just get a job review when the Lord comes back because we're all going to be employed in the kingdom. The saints will reign on the earth, the scripture says. Surely I haven't lost you already. Come on. 
You're going to reign on the earth. You are going to help Jesus with government in the next age. There'll be nations. There'll be governments. There'll be political systems. There'll be economics. There'll be agriculture. There'll be all manner of life in the next age. And the saints from this age are part of the leadership team in the next age. The meek shall inherit thee. What did you think that was? Just a figurative nice little thought? No, you are actually going to inherit the planet and rule and reign with the Lord Jesus. You, at the end of this age, we get a job review. If you want to think of it this way, you get 70 years. You're in the internship. You're being trained. You're being trained to operate in the value system of the kingdom of God, which is found in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. You are being trained so that you can flow in leadership in the age to come as ones that are ruling and reigning with Christ on the earth. (laughs) Oh, give us revelation of this, God, that we would get our eyes off of this age. Yes, I want to fulfill everything that God's called me to do in this age. And yes, I would have fainted lest I believed I'd see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living in this age. But I tell you, beloved, there's another age to come. And when I can see that next age, it puts everything in perspective. And I can see the training class for what it is. This is the training class. The trials and tribulations, the challenges, the good, the bad, the ugly, everything you go through, this is a training class preparing you for another time. And God doesn't, he doesn't waste a drop. He uses the training class in a potent way to bring kingdom purposes to pass, to see billions brought into the kingdom. Yes, he does it all. He's the God that plays chess on 10 different levels. But I tell you, there's a whole nother age And we will see the fulfillment of the discipling of the nations. Every nation discipled in all the ways of the Lord is fulfilled when Jesus is ruling and reigning on the planet and he's conforming every nation to his governmental style, to his core values. That's coming in the next age. This age, we evangelize. The gospel of the kingdom goes to all the nations. The next age, we finalize the the discipling of all the nations. So we've got to have perspective of this age to come or we'll live solely for this age. And when you live solely for this age, you live fatalistic and you tend to live like a spiritual orphan, not believing in the inheritance, not believing in what the Father has prepared, not believing in the coming kingdom. So that is massive. These are massive ideas. When, when we got born again, when you got saved, most of us, we got saved because we didn't want to go to hell. How many got saved because you didn't want to go to hell? I, I, I didn't want to go to hell. Some guy was preaching hell real hot, and I was like, no, I don't want to go there. Yes, Jesus, whatever, help. <laughs> but I had no idea that I was joining a kingdom. I was, I was transferring my membership in the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. I was leaving the kingdom of darkness and joining the kingdom of light. I had no concept of that at all. Don't you know, Jesus is the king. He's the king of all kings. He is the king. He has a kingdom. He has a value system, a culture, a, a, a way a, a, of leading and ruling. He has all that stuff. And he's going to implement it all in the earth throughout every nation. And we are commissioned right now between the time of his first and second coming to manifest the powers of the age to come in order to testify of the kingship and deity of the Lord Jesus. That's what evangelism actually is. I mean, I appreciate all of our evangelistic efforts, our drama presentations, whatever we do. I appreciate every passing out of tracks. But when, when he told the disciples, you will receive power to be witnesses, it was in the context of them saying to him, so Lord, when are you going to do the kingdom thing? He said, Lord, when are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? That was, when are you going to rule and reign on the throne of the nation of Israel. When are you going to bring the kingdom here? He goes, it's not for you to know the times and seasons the Father has set, but 
Here's what you're supposed to do. You're going to receive power to be a witness. Power comes on you to declare of the age to come. Hebrews 6, it tells us that we manifest the powers of the age to come now. You shall receive power to be a witness, the powers of the age to come, that declare of Jesus' deity, of his kingship, and the truth of the coming kingdom. This is what we got into. I just didn't want to go to hell. I had no idea I was joining the global empire of the Lord Jesus Christ. But that's what we've joined. And I kind of like it. Because it's way cooler than the cartoon version of what we tend to think of. This, this cartoon version of, you know, sort of you die and you just go and you become sort of a ghost. With clouds everywhere. We have a really blurry idea of what's coming. And so because of that, we tend to live fatalistic. When we have revelation of the ages to come, when we understand the inheritance that the Father has in store and, and the promised reward, it empowers us to live faithfully and focused in this age. When we understand where we're going, it gives you courage to live focused day in and day out in the mundane. The revelation of what's coming will give your heart might to stand through challenge, trial, good and bad, and boarding. You know, I mean, there's a lot of just doing the deal, isn't there? Have you ever noticed how most of Christianity is continuing steadfastly? It's not mostly pyrotechnics. And when we get cool stuff, you know, God does cool stuff along the way, all sorts of cool stuff, but most of it's staying faithful, just like they did in Acts 2. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and prayers, the breaking of bread and fellowship. You continue steadfastly, and then many signs and wonders were done. As you continue going along, many signs and wonders are done that are declaring of the age to come. And so the, the courage to continue steadfastly it comes because you have perspective and you have a vision of what's coming. A vision of the age to come. A vision of the reward of the Father. A vision of the inheritance. It's the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. We just don't know what that is. We have lots of ideas, but we don't quite know what that is yet. I really am jealous over this truth because it will cause the heart to come alive. So I want to just, I want to go back again and uh, last time I, I laid the foundation of the establishment of the kingdom and I did it real fast and I did it from Adam all the way to Jesus. And I want to go back and just develop that a bit more so that you can get a clear picture when we say kingdom of what we're even talking about. Now, one of the, one of the cr most critical transactions, I mean, this, this cannot be overstated. One of the most critical transactions in the scripture is the covenant that God made with David. We tend to focus on God's covenant with Israel, God's covenant with Abraham. We appreciate God's covenant with Noah. Never destroy the earth again, rainbow, prove it. I won't destroy the earth in that way again with a flood. It wasn't that he would never destroy the earth again, it was with a flood, and he puts the rainbow up to, to, to show it. We appreciate those covenants, but we almost never talk about the covenant that God made with David, the Davidic covenant. It is huge in Scripture. If you don't have a picture of the Davidic covenant, you almost don't understand the preaching of the apostles in the book of Acts because they reference it continuously. Peter references it continuously. Paul references it continuously. And so they're talking about the Davidic covenant. If we don't understand what the Davidic covenant even was, then we don't even understand the, the inception of New Testament preaching. So let's go look again at the Davidic covenant, the covenant that God made with David. That's all I mean by Davidic covenant is covenant God made with David. 2 Samuel chapter 7. You can find the same story in 1 Chronicles 16 and 17. We might do a little bit of Bible study this morning and hit a few scriptures, so just hang with me. Just tune in with me and let this develop in your soul and even take it back later and study it. Look at the verses on your own and get a foundation for what the kingdom is that you're a part of. How many love being a part of the kingdom? 
How many want to know what the kingdom's about? Amen. I'd love to know what my citizenship actually even means. So in 2 Samuel 7, let me lay it out for you. David has just become king in Jerusalem. It was seven years after he was first established as king in Israel that he then became king in Jerusalem. And so then he becomes king in Jerusalem, and the first thing he does is he, is he takes Mount Zion. He gets rid of the Jebusites who had, who had camped there on Mount Zion. They'd never been uh, eradicated from the land. From the years when the, the Israelites drove out all the ites, the Jebusites made covenant with Israel, and they stayed there occupying Mount Zion. First thing David does is he says, get off of Mount Zion. This is the mountain of the Lord. And he drives the Jebusites out. And so then the very next thing he does is he goes and gets the Ark of the Covenant from Obed-Edom's house. Remember that story? And, and so he goes and gets the Ark. On the way back, there's some troubles. He's got to learn how to do it. I won't go into that whole story. Brings it back. I mean, I could spend two hours on that. Brings it back and he sets the ark up in a tent and he establishes night and day worship right there on Mount Zion. First thing is king, he gets rid of the Jebusites. Second thing is king, night and day worship. You could call it one thing, he's getting rid of the Jebusites so he can do night and day worship. He has the vision that at the centerpiece of his kingdom will be night and day prayer before the Ark of the Covenant. David sets that up on Mount Zion and an on earth as it is in heaven reality. From there, David is in his palace in 2 uh, uh, Samuel 7. And he's sitting in his palace and he looks down from his palace and he looks on this tent that he's erected. And the Ark of the Covenant's in the tent and he goes, hold on. I'm in a palace. I've got ivory and, and cedar and all this beautiful stuff. And God's in a tent. He's uh, not good with my heart. He goes, this, is, this bothers me. And so he goes, I'm going to build the Lord a palace. I'm going to build him a temple. And Nathan the prophet, he goes, you know, David, you are on a roll. You got the ark back. You do a night and day prayer. Hey, man, go for it. And the Lord visits Nathan in a dream. He says, tell David he cannot build me a temple. I've never asked him to build me a temple. Tell David he's a man of war and he won't build me a temple. But tell David this. And we get that prophecy in 2 Samuel 7. We get the whole of the prophecy. And I want to zero in on verse 15 and, uh, uh, verse 15 and 16. He's talking about David's son. I should back it up and, and give you a little bit more. Let's, uh, verse 12. 2 Samuel 7, verse 12. This is the prophecy from Nathan the prophet speaking on behalf of the Lord to David. This is where we get the Davidic covenant. Here it goes. When your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, when you die, David, I will set up your seed after you who will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom. What's that next word? Forever. Now, on the near side, in a near uh, partial way, this applies to Solomon, who was going to come after David. He was going to build the temple. But on the far side, it's talking about a king that would come from David's lineage who would stay forever. This is a stunning prophecy. Verse 14, I will be his father. <laughs> There's a guy coming out of your line, David. I'm his dad. That is a good prophecy. You know, that's better than, yea, thus saith the Lord. I see that, da 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 da, da you're going to be blessed. You're going to pay your bill, eighty nine ninety seven. God says, like Bill's paid. I will be his father. Ha! <laughs> And he shall be my son. Now he goes back and begins to talk about Solomon. If he commits iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the blows of the sun. Verse 15. But my mercy shall not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Verse 16. Here it goes. And your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever. 
goes, David, you cannot build me a house, but he goes, I'll build you a house and I'll build you a kingdom. Two things. I'll build you a house and I'll build you a kingdom. That word house, it literally means I'm going to give you a family lineage of kings. In other words, the kingdom, the throne of Israel will not depart from your line. Your lineage will be the line that the kings come from. Man, what a good word. Secondly, and your kingdom. That word is dominion. There is going to be massive authority that comes from your line, even to this, that my own son is going to come from your line, David, and it's going to be established forever. That covenant, beloved, that God made with David is referenced continuously throughout the scripture. And so the concept of Messiah to come, that whole idea comes from this prophecy and this covenant that God made with David. The idea that there would be a man and the government would rest upon his shoulders and he would lead all Israel, he would be the king of the Jews, that whole idea comes from right here. We have got to see how uh, vital this prophecy is to the rest of Scripture, or you almost don't get what they're talking about, especially the apostolic preaching uh, in the book of Acts. So the psalmists, let me just throw a few verses at you. The psalmists, they establish this prophecy. Lest you, you think maybe that I've you know, added something to it. Psalm 89, Ethan the Ezraite. Known as one of the wise men of Israel back in Solomon's time. He said this in, in Psalm 89, verse 3. It's going to come up for you. It says, uh, the Lord says, I have made a covenant with my chosen. I have sworn to David, my servant. I will establish your seed forever and build up your throne to all generations. Ethan the Ezraite giving us commentary on that prophetic promise to David. That same chapter, verse 35. He says this, once I've sworn in my holiness... I will not lie to David. His seed shall endure forever and his throne as the sun before me. Now it's really important to understand this point. That the throne of David is a natural earthly throne. It's a throne upon the earth. It's not some ethereal heavenly throne. The Lord uses language describing it as the the throne of the Lord over Israel. I'm going to show you that verse in a minute. But that throne, the Lord says, I'm establishing it before me just like I've established the sun before me. Let me ask you something. Is the sun in the sky, is it natural or is it spiritual? It's not a trick question. The sun is a natural, physical, it's really there. Sun. It's up there. It's physical. And he goes, just as that sun, your throne will be established. Just as that thun in the sky is physical and natural and it's, it's, it's you know, actually in the physical realm, your throne will be established just like that. The Lord has a covenant with the day and the night that it won't cease before him. And the Lord goes on and he's going to sit in Jeremiah. We'll show it in a minute. He goes, I, if, if I could break my covenant with the day and the night, then I could break my covenant with David. But he goes, I can't. It's fully established. The throne of David is a physical throne on the earth. And so when the Lord says, I'm going to give you a lineage of kings, I'm going to give you a dominion, a throne that's got dominion. He's talking about a physical throne on the planet. This is massively important. Psalm 132, Solomon speaking about his dad. He says, the Lord, in verse 11, the Lord is sworn in truth to David. He will not turn from it. I will set upon your throne the fruit of your body. They're all referencing this covenant that God made to David. They're all referencing the Davidic covenant that says this in in specific. You're going to have a lineage of kings upon the throne of Israel, and from your line is going to come Messiah. He's going to reign forever. Now, this is fully established in Isaiah and in Jeremiah and the other prophets. Let's just take a few more samples. I just want to get this so ingrained in you so you comprehend what this kingdom is even about. Isaiah 9, verse 6. We love it. It's a Christmas song. It was a prophecy about the Davidic kingdom before it was a Christmas song. Just a thought. (laughs) Isaiah 9, unto us... A child is born. Okay, no. For unto us a child is born. 
Unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. His name, oh, I love his name. It will be called Wonderful, Full of Wonder. Counselor, you ever have a problem? Talk to Jesus. Mighty God, he's on your team. God before you, who can, who can be against you? The mighty God, you and him make a majority every time. Everlasting Father, this Father is the Son, the Son is the Father, they are one in the Spirit. Praise God. We have the Trinitarian thing happening right there through Isaiah. Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government, and peace, there will be no end. Where? Where is this all going to happen? Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward. From when? From when that throne is established. From that time forward, even forever. Who's going to do this? The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform it. Because this son is going to be given, and from that time forward that he's given his king, he will order and establish his kingdom forever. Do you understand you are part of an eternal kingdom that's going to last forever? Upon the throne of David. It has earthly, natural implications. This king is coming back. He's going to rule the nations from Israel on David's throne. Look what Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 33. I mean, Jeremiah just goes off about it. I'm really, see, there's a whole... There's a whole mentality that says, well, the throne of David is a spiritual throne up in heaven somewhere. It's not. It's an earthly throne upon the, upon the earth, and Jesus is going to come and occupy it. David always understood it to be the throne on the planet, his own throne on the planet. The prophets, the psalmists, they all understood it to be the throne on the planet, that, that God was going to raise up a king that would reign on the earth. Jeremiah 33, look at it. Verse 14, it's coming up on your screen. Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the good word which I have spoken concerning the house of Israel and the house of Judah. In those days and at that time I will cause a righteous branch of David. That's stunning language. Branch, that means a human. It's coming out of his line. A righteous branch of David to spring forth and he shall execute justice and righteousness on the earth. That sounds like the throne of God. Righteousness and justice are before your throne. Where? On the earth. Wow. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will dwell in safety. And this is the name by which uh, she shall be called. Jerusalem shall be called. The Lord is our righteousness. Jehovah Sidkenu. Verse 17. For thus says the Lord of hosts, David shall never lack a man to sit on the throne of the house of Israel. Verse 19, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah saying, thus says the Lord of hosts, if you can break my covenant for the day and my covenant for the night so that day and night will not be at their appointed time, then my covenant may also be broken with David my servant so that he will not have a son to reign on his throne. Do you understand that God is serious about that promise that he made to David? Often through the scripture, the Lord says, Israel, Judah, you, you've turned from me, but for my servant David's sake, I will do this and that for you. It's interesting to me, because when David gives himself to ordering and establishing night and day prayer on the earth, when he sets up 24-hour worship and prayer in the tabernacle of David in an on-earth-as-it-is-in-heaven style reality, it's right after that that the Lord prophesies to him and says, you're going to have dominion, you're going to have authority, my son's going to come from your line. It's powerful. It's a picture of what is afforded to the church when she will worship and pray night and day the kingdom authority that's, be, that's released on the planet. And when you look at David and Solomon's kingdom, they had nothing but, I mean, absolute dominion as long as they were serving the Lord and doing night and day prayer. It was explosive until Solomon ends up reaping all the benefits. He's the wisest, richest, broadest king in all of Israel because of the authority and dominion granted through that establishment of night and day prayer on the planet it releases kingdom authority on earth as it is in heaven think about that phrase in heaven 
24 hours a day, they sit before the throne, they cry, holy, 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 uh, Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. There's a 24-hour worship reality in the throne room of God. His throne is a worship center. On earth, as it is in heaven, 24 hours a day, and that place in heaven is the centerpiece of all created order. It's the centerpiece of all authority and dominion, and God is, even right now, he's releasing it, not just here, but all over the planet. He's releasing 24-7 prayer. Why? To release government on the planet. Why? Because we are getting ready for the king to come back and rule and reign, and when he rules and reigns, he's going to rule and reign in righteousness and 24-hour worship and prayer on the earth. He's taking little pockets in governmental centers through prayer, but I tell you, it's only setting the table for the, the Isaiah 16, 5, which we'll touch in a sec, where he says, a throne will be established in the tabernacle of David. talking about the age to come, and dominion is going to be over that throne. Government is going to be over that throne. That Isaiah 9, man, I can't stop talking. Oh, the Isaiah 9, government shall be upon his shoulders. <laughs> Somebody stop me. (laughs) Preach myself into a Holy Ghost fit. Oh. (laughs) Okay. I'm going to keep going. So, David says, of his throne, he recognizes that his throne is the throne of the kingdom of the Lord on the earth. First Chronicles 28.5, it's going to come up on your screens. Look at this important verse. David's speaking about his son Solomon and what throne Solomon's going to take over. He says, and of all my sons, he has chosen, God has chosen my son Solomon to sit on the throne of the kingdom of the, capital L-O-R-D, the the throne of the kingdom of Jehovah, where? Over Israel. On the planet. The kingdom of that God wants to establish on the earth, initiated with God's promise to David, you're going to have a king that's going to come from your line. He's going to sit on the throne of Israel. He's going to be my son. Well, this begs the question. If God's got a throne in heaven, what is this throne of the Lord on the earth? Because we know that right now, Jesus, after his crucifixion and resurrection, he's ascended and he sits at the right hand of the throne of God, right? In Revelation 3, he says, I am sitting on my Father's throne. He goes, but in the day to come, you will sit with me on my throne. Jesus is still yet to inherit this promised throne. It's the throne of the Lord on the earth. That throne of the Lord, that throne of David, according to the promise that God made to David. Beloved, that's a coming day. This is the kingdom that you're a part of. Let me show it to you. Turn over to Isaiah 16. I don't think they've got it. If you guys can pull Isaiah 16, 5 up. Isaiah prophesying of that coming day, the throne that will be established on the planet. This should be normative, I think. I think you should just preach into places in the spirit and stuff happens. Might as well. It's a lot better than the boring thing we used to do, just blah, 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 blah. At least now it's strange and unique. It's unusual. (laughs) Isaiah 16, 5, look at this. Man, I feel the Lord. In mercy... The throne will be established, and one will sit on it in truth, in where the tabernacle of David, 
judging and seeking justice and hastening righteousness. This is talking about Messiah when he comes to rule and reign. He'll set up night and day prayer on the earth and he will have his throne and he will reign from the center of 24-7 prayer on the planet. Amos 9 verse 10 and 11 describes that exact same reality. It says the Lord says he will return and rebuild the tabernacle of David and it will be a light to the nations. Hear me. Jesus' governmental center in the age to come is a night and day prayer reality on the planet. He's the king that has been promised to sit on the throne of David. And on the throne of David, you won't just have the king's palace and the palace of the Lord. Those will be joined together. Zechariah 9 gives us that. Those will be joined together and he will be a priest upon the throne. He will be a governmental king and a priest before the people. And that will be a night and day prayer. It will be in the tabernacle of David, 24-7 prayer. It will be an on earth as it is in heaven reality. This is what the governmental center of the next age will look like. Jesus Christ will be ruling and worship sets will be going on. And how cool will that be? I mean, right now we got the little guy up here talking about, Lord, I lift your name on high. Well, what about the day when they're actually doing night and day prayer in Jerusalem? Jesus is sitting there and he goes, Lord, I lift your name on high. I mean, this is going, it's going to get good. Huh. All right, look at Luke. (laughs) so when Gabriel shows up and he shows up to a little 16 year old girl and she's just she's just trying to like love God and live right imagine little Mary just sort of just serving God Gabriel shows up Here's what he says to her, verse 28 of Luke chapter 1. It's on your screen. Having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. What, me? Highly favored among women? Huh? Then the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. Yeah, I know your name. For you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Yeshua, Jesus. Means uh, God will save. He will be great and will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him what? The throne of his father, David. That 16-year-old girl was going, what did you just say to me, angel? Yeah, Nathan's prophecy to David is going to be finally fulfilled through you, Mary. Do you understand what a Jewish girl knowing the prophecies, understanding who Messiah was to be? Remember when Jesus asked the Pharisees, he said, so let me ask you something about the Messiah. Whose son is he? They all go, son of David. Can you imagine the 16-year-old little girl? The angel shows up. That's scary enough. He knows her name. Whoa. Highly favored. What is happening? The son of David is going to be born through your womb. Can you imagine? Seriously. Look at it. The Lord will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. House of Jacob is Israel. He will rule over Israel forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. This is on the earth, beloved. This is coming to a planet near you real soon. Oh, man. Mark 11, let me show you what happened. Jesus does his earthly ministry. He lays out in the Sermon on the Mount the values of the kingdom. He goes around teaching and preaching and healing, preaching what? The gospel of the kingdom. He's telling people about the kingdom, telling them about the kingdom age. They don't get it. They think Messiah is supposed to show up as a king. They miss the point that he's he's also supposed to come as a man and be a suffering servant. They miss that point entirely. They missed Isaiah 53. 
They thought if you're the king, come on, get off the cross and be the king. Right? They missed this point that the king is the martyr of the kingdom. That the high priest is the sacrifice. There's no other one who could be the sacrifice. What the blood of bulls and goats could not do, the blood of Jesus did forever. Our king is our martyr. Our high priest is our sacrifice. This is the kingdom we're a part of. This is powerful. And so they were expecting him to reign as king in his first coming. And here's what the Jews, right? Jesus is making the triumphal entry. He's coming to Jerusalem. You know what they think he's coming to Jerusalem to do? Take over. They think he's going to come in, displace the Sanhedrin, kick Herod out, get rid of the Romans, and boom, establish right then the Messianic kingdom. Look, I can prove it to you. Mark 11. Jesus on his way into Jerusalem at the triumphal entry. He's going to be crucified in a week. Those who went in front and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Verse 10, blessed is the coming kingdom of our father, David. They all thought it was going to happen then. They had no vision for the king who was going to die on behalf of the sins of the people. They had no vision. They did not understand. They missed the whole point of the sacrificial system. The sacrificial system was instituted, yes, to cover sin, yes, to delay judgment, but ultimately the sacrificial system was to point to the perfect lamb who would take away the sins of the people. They missed it entirely. They thought he was coming to be the king. Blessed is he who's coming to take the throne of our father David. That same group in a week was crying, he's a fraud, crucify him. Because when they saw him arrested, when they saw him beaten and bloodied, when they saw him scourged with the Roman scourge, wilting under the Roman imperialism, they said, he's not really the king. Crucify him. Do you understand what's going on there with that interplay? The same crown that's saying Hosanna is the same group saying crucify him a week later. They thought he was a fraud. They missed the point entirely. God raises him from the dead. Oh, I love it. And then Peter gets up on the day of Pentecost. We know what happens. Fire, wind, fire, and wine come. The 120 comes stumbling out of the upper room. In the meanwhile, after Jesus was resurrected, he preaches for 40 days on the kingdom. Wind, fire, wine. They come stumbling out of the upper room. Peter stands up and goes, hey, these guys aren't drunk as you suppose. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. This is what, this is what Joel prophesied about, an outpouring of the Spirit. And then he begins to preach the gospel And he tells them this. Remember David? You remember he said, I will not suffer my holy one to see corruption? He goes, that wasn't talking about David. That was talking about the king that was to come from David's line. And he says this, let me tell you something. This king is the guy you crucified. His name is Jesus. That's all in Acts chapter 2. The first proclamation, first New Testament proclamation after Jesus' resurrection is that Jesus is the son of David that's going to sit on the throne of David. Here, look at the verses. Acts chapter 2, verse 30. But he was a prophet, talking about David, and knew that God had promised him an oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Verse 36. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. He is the one that God has set on David's throne. Oh, my goodness. So then again, it goes this way. The big question becomes this. If the Father has a throne in heaven, and The throne of the king of Israel, the throne of Jesus is on the earth. And Jesus has yet to be be set on that throne. Which, what's the deal? Why two thrones? What's going on here? What's this all about? A heavenly throne, an earthly throne, a throne of the kingdom of the Lord over Israel. What are you doing, God? I love it. Because the Lord explains it to us in Ephesians 1. Flip over there. Understand the kingdom you're a part of. 
It's the kingdom of God. It has a heavenly center. That heavenly center is going to be expanded and have an earthly center, and both of those are going to be established and functioning together. Now, you remember Matthew 28, 18, Jesus said this, and in, in describing the great commission of discipling the nations, Jesus says this, all authority in heaven and earth is given to me, now therefore you go. See, we are commissioned in the name of the king We are commissioned in the name of the king of the kingdom to make disciples of all nations. And the gospel proclamation is this. Hey, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Hey, be reconciled to God. And they go, well, how can you prove that? We go, power, signs, wonders, and miracles. I've received power to be a witness. (laughs) That's how it's supposed to go, guys. So Jesus says, Matthew 28, 18, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. All authority in heaven and earth. Think about that. Jesus says, all authority in heaven and earth. Let me ask you something. Who runs heaven? Yeah, go, go generic. God does? Yes. And who's he given all the authority in heaven to? Jesus. The man, Christ Jesus, who's God and all man, has all authority in heaven. Guess where else he has all authority? On earth. Oh. Watch this. Ephesians 1. Oh, this is so cool. I love the NIV version. And he, and God, that's the he, God made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure. So th- this is answering the question, you got a heavenly throne, you got an earthly throne, what's the deal? God made known the mystery of his will. His will is according to his good pleasure. I love that little phrase, let me just take a minute on it. <clears throat> God gets his inspiration from himself. All of our creative artists and you know, musicians and whoever's that are creative on the planet, all of our human people that are creative, they all get their inspiration from something. Oh, I just need to go and listen to some good music to get me some inspiration, right? I need to see a sunset to make me paint better, or I need to read something to stir my creative juices. Well, God goes, yeah, I want to do something amazing. Let me, let me look at myself. And I'm going to get a creative something that will blow everybody's mind. Because he's so rich. I mean, his eyes are full of eternity. I mean, what, how deep are the riches of our God? I mean, his, his, knowing him is unsearchable forever and ever and ever. We're going to seek him out. We're going to get blown away for a million millennia. We're going to be a million thousand years in and go, wow, I never saw that before. So when God decided to come up with a mysterious plan, he looked inside himself of his good pleasure. He goes, oh, let me come up with a, oh, I like that. According to the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, there it is, which he purposed in Christ, the plan he's going to pull off is in Jesus When are you going to do it? To be put into effect when the times have reached their fulfillment. Okay, what's the plan? To bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. Those thrones, the one in heaven and the one on earth, he's going to join those realities together. The earthly is going to mirror the heavenly. It's going to be an on earth as it is in heaven reality. Those thrones are going to be united and Jesus Christ is going to be the one head over both thrones with all authority in heaven and in earth. And Jesus will set his throne up on the earth, on the throne of David. He will rule with the government of God, with the full authority of the kingdom of heaven. He'll rule all heaven and all earth together. Time and eternity, beloved, are getting ready to, boom, collide. We are in the most cool situation ever. There's nothing better than Christianity. God's mystery has been to join it all together in one man forever. The mystery of his will was to bring the thrones in alignment on earth and in heaven. And Jesus is the man who's going to rule them both. I love the New Living Translation. It says it this way. 
God has now revealed to us his mysterious plan regarding Christ, a plan to fulfill his own good pleasure. And this is the plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. Beloved, this is the kingdom that we're talking about. We have received the power of the kingdom now. Not in fullness, in part, but we can be witnesses with that power to testify of the deity of Christ and the establishment of the kingdom. The kingdom is already, but not yet. It's already here, and it's still coming. When Jesus sits on the throne of David in Jerusalem, after he returns, I tell you, a dynamic convergence between heaven and earth is gonna take place, and beloved, that is when we're going to see Habakkuk 2.14. The glory of the Lord shall cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. It's going to happen on the planet. You and I are a part of this kingdom. This is our king, Jesus. You and I have massive roles and responsibilities in the kingdom. We have been given the, the privilege, I mean, just it's ridiculous because we are so broken down, but his blood is so powerful. We have been the, given the privilege to not only uh, receive power to manifest the kingdom now, but to rule and reign with him on the earth in the age to come. Your life doesn't end when you die and when Jesus comes back. When you die, you go be with the Lord until he comes. And when he comes, it tells us, First Thessalonians tells us that he's gonna bring with him those who have died in Christ. He's coming back to reign. You and I are a part of it. This is the kingdom. There's a, there's a value system. There's a culture. Jesus is the king. And I tell you, he is the one that God has appointed to sit on the throne of David. And that is what you and I are a part of. Amen. Oh, to get vision for this, to get vision for this. It causes us to live differently. You can't be bored and purposeless and visionless when you have perspective of what's getting ready to happen. In the next few weeks, what we'll do is we'll start unpacking the details. We'll talk about the glorified body. We'll talk about the earth and the age to come. We'll talk about the governmental system. We'll talk about what it's gonna be like to live on the planet, what it's like to rule and reign with Christ. We're gonna go through the details of it. Beloved, you have got a role that supersedes just this age. Now, we don't want to forget about this age. I mean, I'll tell you what, I would have fainted. I love what David said. He goes, I would have fainted unless I believed I'd see the goodness of the Lord in this land right now. We're going to see his power manifest now, but this is still just the internship warming us up for a thousand years when Jesus will reign on the earth. Amen. All right, good. Let's stand. Jesus, in speaking of himself in Revelation, he says, I am the root and the offspring of David. Because I am the king. I am the one that God has prophesied. That Davidic covenant that God made, that covenant God made with David, he goes, I am the offspring of David. It's going to join all things together under one head, Christ. Christ is the one head. Come, Lord Jesus.